0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back uh,
2: Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. It's lovely to be here, even if I did get woken up at 3.30 this morning by an incredibly violent thunderstorm, mm. one of the worst I've heard in a long time. Wow. And didn't go back to sleep, but at least I got up in time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've probably been up in time for hours.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what I mean. So, Yes. So, yeah look it's been it's been really interesting but my, I'm really pleased that my garden has stood up so well to all the amazingly heavy downpours so um you know I think sometimes particularly after a dry period your garden can be a little bit fragile as far as rain's concerned mm. Um, but my garden is the so much is covered by plants so I've had a, a real issue with weeds because I've been so busy that I haven't got in there I've had Grass a meter high and when it, where there's not supposed to be any grass at all, um, and I've got round about, about nine tenths of garden now, but I've managed to when I, as I weeded, I mulched so the garden was ready to absorb moisture when it came. So yeah. it's been, it's gone into the soil instead of running off and yep. and dragging, um, dragging plants and. You know, ground cover and everything mm. with it, so i 've been really pleased with the way that it stood up to the rain and even my tomatoes are looking fantastic wow i 'm I'm a bit worried with the humidity that there 's going to be some disease issues mm. that'll be sitting in, and I notice there 's quite a few um, uh, white white fly around but um, apart from that um, at the moment touchwood they 're looking. Really good, so I'm very pleased about that because I've got talks to do about tomatoes after Christmas, <laughs> and I need to have tomatoes. So, yes.
1: Oh, uh, I don't have any fruit yet. I've got I've got plenty of um of flowers, but I, yeah. I just hope that this rain hasn't knocked all the flowers off.
2: Well, I guess that's possible, but you only need a little bit of warm weather, and the flowers and will hopefully, we'll yeah. come back again. I've got I might actually have some tomatoes for Christmas, which I'll be. Pleased. Wow. Mm. I've, I've bought I had kind a. Of couple of times because I wanted to have a plant that I could carry with me to talks so I bought Tiny Tim which is, oh, yes. a, which is a really nice little cultivar or, Though Karen and I disagree about the flavour of the tomatoes, but I thought I'd give it <laughs> another go. That's subjective, though. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> but um, it, it's covered in tomatoes, and the first three or four are just starting to ripen now. So, I would... so have you got that in a pot so you can take it around with you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, if you're looking in small spaces, if you want to grow, and it's not too late to put them in now, um, if you can get seedlings of it, it's a terrific one mm. to put into pots. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 We have to also say a very good morning to James Beatty. My Good
1: morning,
3: James. Good morning, Pam. And good morning, everyone listening as well, bright and early on a Sunday morning. Yep, Very good. Yep. <laughs>
1: And you sound like you've been really working hard.
3: Yeah, yeah. We were just saying before we came on air. It's just that time of year where everyone wants everything done straight straight away, and by Christmas, if not straight away. Yes, exactly. You know, all of a
1: sudden they realise that they've invited people in for Christmas, and oh, the garden looks terrible. We've got to finish it off. Exactly right. And
3: one of my um one of my long term clients, her eldest uh, was turning twenty one yesterday, and they were having a big party extravaganza in their backyard, and. They wanted everything looking ship shaped for that, so the last couple of weeks we've been putting a lot of work into that one and getting it looking really good. But the rain is, you know, it's really welcome considering the dry winter that we had. It was just mm. obscenely dry last mm. winter. We hardly got any rain whatsoever. Um, and I ran around and did a whole lot of um and did a whole lot of prep especially on my um on my nature strip where I've got a lot of indigenous grasses just because the soil surface had crusted over so badly right. that I knew the the rain was just going to wash off completely because mm-hmm. it was going to come in, you know, fast deluges and that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but I went and applied a soil wetter the day that the first kind of lot of rain that we had a couple of <laughs> weeks ago timing. was going to arrive <laughs> and that worked really well. Um, no runoff really at all. That okay. really helps water to penetrate into soil. Um, and everything's really kind of kicked on and is actually having a kind of second seeding event. All of the local grasses are starting to put up more flowers now that they've had a bit of moisture yes right um so yeah effect achieved it was good and it's looking it's looking really 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 good this 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 year yeah despite the lean start it's it's looking great yeah
4: fantastic but we- yeah
3: it's humid queensland weather really i've moved to melbourne to get away from <laughs> brisbane and the humidity at this time of year and it seems to be following <laughs> me it
4: so.
1: is it's following you <laughs> <laughs> it's catching up to you too <laughs> Oh dear, I think poor old Tassie's (laughs) in for a bucketing this morning from the
3: sound of it. Yeah, northern Tassie. Yeah. We were were there a couple of weeks ago on a bit of a kind of a flying visit. A friend of ours has just moved down to Devonport about uh, six or nine months ago. We went to visit the Emu Valley rhododendron garden just behind um, Bernie. Okay. And that was one of the most beautiful gardens I've ever visited I reckon it was just fantastic a really interesting mix of all of that ericaceous family um stuff rhododendrons of course being the rhododendron garden yes but also things like um kalmias and dogwoods in flower just absolutely beautiful mm. and it's a really extensive garden um run it's it's owned and run and has been developed entirely by a band of volunteers. Okay. Um, and what they've achieved as a dedicated group of people over the last kind of 20 or 30 years, mm. it's such, it's really worth going along to have a look at it. It's mm. just beautiful. It's about 20 minutes out of Burnie in northwest Tassie. Um, but stunning, stunning place to visit any time of year. Um, it would be especially good in autumn as well, Um so the, yeah, that's one to keep in mind if you're yeah. on a on a bit of a driving holiday in Tassie. It's gorgeous place.
1: Who owns the land, Jane?
3: I I wrote a story on it years ago, and I and I can't remember off the top of my head, but. I'm not sure if the land was donated or something like that, but it's it's officially incorporated and it's owned by the friends group that run the garden and that developed the garden.
2: Fantastic. Okay. So it's not gonna... a lot of those are, are, are um, council-owned. Mm. Um, and council's often very generous with allowing, you know, volunteer groups to plant and run and yeah. various gardens. Well, it's in I their interest a, because it yeah, brings exactly. tourists in
1: and yeah. they mm. don't have to worry about the maintenance anymore. Yeah, and they so.
2: look mm. fantastic. Yeah. Because I know the Rose group up in Backers Marsh was the garden that they run. Up there. Yeah. I mean, they maintain it and prune the roses and feed them and mm-hmm. do everything. And mm-hmm. there's groups like that all over Australia. I mean, it's extraordinary the amount of volunteer hours that go into gardening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in all what shapes and forms. Yes. Yeah. Which oh, it's is, wonderful. Which is really good. Yeah. Mm, we can all understand a, that. And it, well, <laughs> it's such a good thing to do because, you know, the gardening is healthy. It's, yep. We know that it's good for our mental health and then the communication mm. with other volunteers and that, you know, that social communication is really important too. I'm so.
3: always really impressed by that social aspect of gardening. Yep. Um, yep. I've got I've got a pretty good front yard. I've got lots of kind of perennial bordery type plantings. Yep. And the amount of people that I've met in the neighbourhood that just stop and have a chat, because they're like, oh, I really like your garden and... You know, I know dozens of people that live around the local area that I just wouldn't know if I didn't have mm. a garden. Yep. You know, it's yep. a real catalyst for that kind of interaction. Mm. It's mm. it's a really good thing.
1: And I'm sure that's that's been helped too with you planting out the nature strip because that's that's prompted a lot more discussion from local passers by.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um I, I have a suspicion that maybe half of the people that look at it think it's a real mess and wonder when I'm gonna mow it and the other <laughs> half go, Oh, that looks quite nice, you know. <laughs> but it's just, you know, every every Everyone has their own aesthetic, really. But um, mm.
5: yeah.
1: Now, James, uh, I know that you, you've got a great love for Australian native grasses, mm-hmm. and um, you recently went on a visit with um, HMA Horticultural Media Association. Yeah. Can you tell <coughs> listeners a little bit about oh, that? Oh,
3: sure, visit? sure. We went to visit um, a company that's been going for oh, a number of a number of decades now, I think, um, called Flora Victoria. Um, run by Chris Finlay amongst other people Um, and they're based in Keylor and they are the growers of the highest quality seed of native and indigenous species of grass Um, basically in Australia. They've got a pretty big operation, Um, they've got it down to quite a fine art. They're growing a number of different species of um, things like wallaby grass, um, poas, um and they they started off with grasses, but they grow each of the species in big blocks essentially um, that they then go and collect the seed of, and they use it for large landscape scale reinstallation of grasslands or revegetation. So they're really going for that kind of mass grassland effect that would have existed all over Victoria yeah. before the advent of white settlement. You know, yeah. and it's one of those things they're they're almost like um, horticultural archaeologists or something, because the way that they're growing these grasses en masse, most people have never seen them grow like that, mm-hmm. you know. And there's so many great applications for them. Um, the aesthetic beauty of them, I mean, I absolutely love. There's also biological and, you know, biodiversity values and things for them as well. Sure. But they're trying, they're trying to get councils interested. They're trying to get, you know, your everyday gardeners interested in growing them. Um, they've spent a lot of time liaising with... um uh, like architecture organizations and landscape architects to try and get them to use these, to use these species in their designs. Um, and this time of year, their production area is just starting to hit full flower. So you get these acres and acres of just one species of like Dicholacne crinata that are starting to flower. And it's just looks amazing, you know, and trying to, trying to, get your head around what the textures look like, how you might use them. It's much better to go and do it in that situation that they're growing in because you get to see the textures in blocks. you know. And then they can basically go through the crop, harvest the seed, come to your site. Um, They'll usually direct seed most of the time as well. They don't don't really like to plant um, from tubes and you get a whole lot of Mm. horticultural benefits from um, direct seeding a lot of native grasses. You end up with more... Robust plants, Mm -hmm. um, when you're planting with tube stock, I've, I've always found it has a tendency to really take off in the first couple of years and grow really well, but then it might fall apart two or three years later. Whereas if you grow direct from seed, the plants seem to have a lot more longevity about them. Um, and when they're growing for seed production, like they are there, um, they really want that kind of long-term, um, aspect to their, Mm. to their native grass crops. Um, but they've also just started, um, a new wildflower seed production area. Okay. So he's, he's the, the staff there are hoping to get, um, to get quite a number of, uh, mixed pretty species in with their grass mix as a way of trying to, trying to get more interest in people, trying to get people's attention a bit more. And he said, well, um, we decided that we were going to do the, we were going to do the wildflower, um, um, production area because every time we posted pictures of wildflowers on social media like Instagram or Facebook, they just went off. Okay, you know people really love them. Whereas the grasses were still a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it was always the little pretty, pretty flowered mm. things that yes. really attracted people's yes. attention. So, right, they're going to be looking at doing a lot of direct seeding of that kind of stuff and trying out different mixes of grasses with wildflowers, and it's an ongoing thing. And you know, he's that company's one of the few. Th- Companies in Australia that are actually that are actually doing that, <coughs> mm. and um,
2: but doing it on a big scale, which yeah, is the yeah, important yeah. thing, isn't it? Because they're making the seed available to um, people who want to do large areas, mm. but not so much for the home garden. So you ca- you can't contact them and ask for seed.
3: You can. The only problem with that is that a lot of the species, especially of walli- wallaby grass, that they've been growing in the last couple of years, they were. They were contracted to provide a mine revegetation site with seed. So a lot of their seed will sell out really quickly. You might get lucky with getting some for the home garden off them. It just depends what you want. He said, you know, sometimes... Sometimes we'll have seed that'll sit there for a, for a while after mm. it's harvested and other times it'll all be sold before it's harvested. Yep. So mm. yeah. it's a bit of a moving feast for them.
2: But terrific for them that they're getting jobs and, and mm. really good that places like mine sites are being mm. properly rehabilitated mm. with, you know, with proper indigenous plants and yeah. seeds and stuff that's local to the area. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But that
3: grassland aesthetic and ecology, it's something that is really, it's, it's just, it's a lost, it's a lost thing. And, you know, even, even the remnant patches of it that are around mm. Victoria at the moment, despite the fact that they'd be looking great this time of year, they're probably still a shadow of their former selves. Oh, you yes. know, there's less than 1% of relatively intact grasslands in Victoria compared to what there was.
2: Many years ago, when I worked for the National Trust, I was working at a property or running, helped helping to run a property out in the Western District mm-hmm. called Mooramong. And oh yeah. They have. We were we were um, not replanting, but but um, helping to re-establish the grassland areas mm. prote- and protect the grassland areas on mm. that property um, with with a bit of funding. So it was an, it was more about weeding out the, the intrusive species mm. and leaving leaving the ones that mm-hmm. were there and and that's that's worked really well apparently. It's, I haven't mm. been back there for quite a few years now, but you know that, that was. Nobody was doing that mm. 20, years, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, so right. um, it was great to be involved in that. And one of the other quite interesting places, I don't know if you know the um, Balnerring race course down our way on the Mornington Peninsula, um, as part of um, the race course, the inside of the race course is exactly the way that it was right at the beginning with indigenous wildflowers and wow. grasses. Wow, I had no idea, Balnerring. All, all, and all they've done is, is slash it. Each year, yep. um, and <coughs> every year, these, this amazing collection of grassland of mm-hmm. grassland plants has, has come back up, and it's all it's still there by accident. Yeah, that's right. So, but unfortunately, various <laughs> people know about it and are <coughs> collecting seed and aware of, of what's yeah, going on. But okay. there are these odd little sort of remnant bits around, and um, my sister Lib, who they have Victorian native seed mm. <coughs> um, just out of um, in Denver, just mm-hmm. out of Castlemaine. And they do they um, do a lot of native grass growing and and flowers and mm-hmm. as well as the trees, so mm-hmm. they sell a lot of <coughs> into um, if if you get on their website mm-hmm. um, you can get small amounts of seeds so, they would be better yeah. for the home garden they 're harvesting at the moment so yeah. <coughs> and they 're really careful about their seed and mm-hmm. and where they get it from so mm-hmm. if you 're looking for small i went back through all their seed catalog just recently because there 's an article in the most recent organic gardener, um that Karen wrote about um yams and tuberous plants that Australian plants that you can grow and I was hunting around trying to find somewhere that had seed and then I suddenly thought, Oh, Lip's probably got some of these and <laughs> I went onto her website and found all of them. So there I, you was, go. I was able to put it in, but it's it's funny how yeah. Anyway, so that's another source. yeah that, And and that's from that's Victorian seed and in You know, grown properly. All local provenance kind of stuff. It is, it is
3: amazing that those little patches that you mentioned before just do continue to exist by accident yeah. almost and yeah. by kind of happy coincidence of
2: Absolutely. things I like, mean, things so like slashing, lost. you know,
3: yes. if those areas weren't slashed there's no yep. way that those, you know, exactly. wild areas would be looking as good as they yeah. are now yeah. and that's why there was also a lot of there was a lot of remnant patches of grassland ala- around railways when railways were owned mm. by yes. the state because yes. they would put in a lot of money into slashing along railway easements and verges and that kind of stuff was yep. the days before herbicide really took over mm. and yep. As a consequence a lot of those, especially those regional tracks, um, had really high quality mm, patches mm, of mm, grassland and native wildflowers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. And yeah. and
2: roadverges used to as well. Yeah, mm. but, um, exactly. A lot of those have been lost because of the wholesale poisoning. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it was yeah. never a good idea, yeah. really. It was just, yeah, no slushing it's always better. Yeah, yeah. much much exactly. better. Exactly. I think I think the one thing that
1: a lot of the public and councillors are worried about is um is um you know, w- Prone to to fire. Absolutely. Uh, and and how, how do you get around persuading people like landscape designers and mm. architects to incorporate this? Because people see a paddock next to their house mm. and it's got long grass and they instantly ring up the council and complain and say, you've got to mm. come in, it's got to be slashed, you've yeah. got to get the owners to chop this. Mm.
3: What's the way around it? I've I got, don't know. I've got no idea. Well, yeah. I, mean,
2: I mean, for a long time, the slashing though kept it under control with, mm. it, and but it allowed it allowed the plants to seed as well first, yes. usually. Yeah, absolutely. So the the issue that we have now is that the fire seasons are creeping earlier and earlier. So mm. um, if you're going to control them, you're slashing them earlier, and that may well happen before the seed is properly set. Yeah, so, that's all right. Well, I, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so whereas then in it can't the past, regenerate. it worked just with the slashing. Yes.
3: It is one of those things that you could you could get around as well by looking at you know your C three and your C four grasses, where you know <laughs> native grasses are basically divided into two categories. You've got your winter growing C three grasses and your kind of summer growing C four grasses. And if you do go for those winter growers that mm-hmm. are going to seed kind of spring, maybe early summer, and then you can slash them after they've dihessed their seed, then that's probably the best way mm. around it. But mm. you know, it's it's we've got to get to a stage where we've got. Grasslands installed on a large scale before we get to those kind of management questions, and I just wish there would be more of a there was more of a want for those kind of things. Mm. Um, But the but the the worry of fire is is ever present, really, and especially with something like grasslands, which were evolved to burn. Really, that's how Aboriginal Mm. people managed grasslands. Mm. Um, You know, they were they were regularly burnt bits of. um,
1: But you said the optimal word, which is they were managed.
3: Managed exactly right compared to right. wildfire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That wasn't just indiscriminate. There no, was a lot of thought. That's and a, lot exactly of, right. a lot of knowledge behind it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep, yep. yep.
4: Okay.
1: I must get to some community announcements. We don't have terribly many at all. Everything's winding <laughs> up. Surprise, surprise. Um, firstly, a reminder that uh, 3CR have got a wine fundraiser. This is uh, <clears throat> for Christmas, obviously. Um, so we're having um, a special fundraiser. We're, sh- we're uh, selling Shiraz, Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, and Chardonnay. Um, Fifteen dollars a bottle, or cheaper by the one dozen or half dozen. Now, uh, if you've ordered uh, this wine, or if you're thinking of ordering some, uh, you do need to collect it by 12 noon next Friday, which is the 21st. So. Uh, Needs to be <coughs> collected. Now, to order them, you simply uh, phone the 3CR office on 94198377, or you can go online to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. But as I said, all that uh, ordered wine does need to be collected by 12 noon next Friday. Now, the other um, reminder <coughs> is that uh, coming up at Cloud Hill Garden, uh they've got uh they've got uh a couple of um uh performances of Shakespeare's uh much Ado about nothing this is by Ozact and uh a wonderful environment up at Cloud Hill they've got their their natural stage area where they they uh, put on these productions now it's uh taking place on Friday the 28th and Saturday the 29th of December 6:30 till 8:30 cost adults $35 under 16s $25 now um, they do request that you bring a folding chair or cushion dress appropriately for the weather um, you're welcome to bring in a bottle of wine and picnic in the gardens before the show uh, so gates will open at 5 o'clock for that one so that's 28th 29th of December now also a reminder that um, during, uh, during the next couple of months, they're going to have a lot of different music events in the garden. Uh, 26th of January, there'll be artists from the Melbourne Opera Trust performing. Uh, then 9th of February, there'll be uh, Evergreen Ensemble. Uh, then uh, coming up 23rd of February, Latitude 37 performing. And finally, um, on Saturday, the 9th of March, music of the Shakahachi. So I will be mentioning all of those, of course, when we are back on air after Christmas, which reminds me that next week is our last show for the year. Uh, the 3CR Gardening Show team will be taking a well-earned break. Um, we need a holiday too <laughs> particularly as we're all volunteers um but we will be back uh the very first sunday in february which is the 3rd of february so we're taking a break over the hot january um and we'll be back for another year of uh, of gardening advice and talk back uh starting 3rd of february so uh, do tune in for that one uh now just um a message from open gardens victoria Coming up in January on the 12th and 13th, they're actually presenting three um, gardens designed by Fiona Brockhoff. Uh, now, this is interesting that they've managed to get three of her gardens all opening on the same <coughs> weekend, so you'll be able to go from one to the other. Now, these are all down in the Mornington Peninsula, uh, Sorrento and at Main Ridge. Uh, now, the three gardens are Car-ca- Carcalla, which is at 10 Keating Avenue in Sorrento, Arnott Street Garden, which is at 27 Arnott Street in Sorrento, and Main Ridge Garden, which is at 160 Barkers Road in Main Ridge. As I said, they'll be open Saturday and Sunday, 12th and 13th of January, 10am through to 4.30. Entry will be $10 for each garden, children under 18 free, students $5, and... um, And Fiona will actually be in the, uh, Main Ridge Garden on, uh, both afternoons between two and four. So you can, she'll be giving a talk and, uh, you'll be also able to, uh, to have a chat to her and ask her any questions you like about her designs. But wonderful to have those three gardens all opening, uh, and they're all close by each other, um, all on the same weekend. So that's a little reminder for you for the diaries. Well, it's high time we invited listeners to join us. Uh, we'll open up our talkback lines now. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we've got Penny Woodward and James Beatty in the studio, so do give us a call. That number is 94190155. Or this morning we have Liz on the outside line. If you'd like a chat to Liz, 94198377. Penny, uh I noticed that Organic Gardener have got their latest edition out.
2: Yes, it just hit the shelves, um, I think, two or three days ago. Okay, so it's, okay. It's very new.
1: So this will be the last one for the year, presumably. Well, it's actually, it have to
2: be. It's actually the January, January, February edition. Okay. So, <laughs> But we anyways, can read they it bring in bring December. It. We're going they to bring the bring them out a couple, of, <laughs> a couple of weeks beforehand. Yeah, so that's It used great. to be a whole month beforehand. Um, yeah look, I think it's another really interesting, interesting um, addition. I mentioned that Karen's got this article on on yams, so it's um you know introduced type of yams uh, like the winged yam and the aerial potato and um, and ochre, but also she looks at the yam daisy and the bulbine lily and chocolate mm. lily and vanilla lily, all of mm. which have edible roots mm-hmm. and that and you can grow them. so um I think a really, really good story. Um, I've written about lemon-scented plants and different ways of using them, and I've included a recipe for a spicy lemon potpourri, if you want to make a, make a potpourri mm-hmm. out of your lemon-scented plants. Um, and there's, I'm just trying to remember what else is in there. Um, Jessamy has written about ducks and geese and quails, so things other than chooks, for a change. And, um, Helen McCarroll from South Australia has a really excellent article on fajoas. So there's stuff in there about Fejoas that I had never seen anywhere else before. They're so, great okay. plants, Yeah, yeah. and yeah. not and used very enough. And tough. Mm. And if you grow them yourself from um, actually selected cultivars, you mm. can get really fabulous fruit. So mm. that's been one of the issues with Fejoas is that people have bought just mm. Um And some of them either don't produce fruit at all, have beautiful flowers but don't produce fruit, mm. um, and others produce not very nice fruit. So mm. if you yes. can get hold of an actual named cultivar, mm-hmm. Then you will be guaranteed of much better fruit. And, and if you grow two fajoas, you get a better crop of fruit as well. So, um, worth knowing all of that. Um, and there's Justin's writing about, there's a lot of people who have been gardeners who are looking up, looking to upscale into small market gardens. So Ah. things under, you know, around an acre of producing good food. So he's, um, and that's what Jason has done. So this, this article is all about the tools that you need if you're going to upscale from a, either, either have a big garden or a small market garden. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I've written about what I do in my garden with green resources. So as I say in the article, um, I have written, I have written in them briefly in the magazine before about the fact that I don't have a green bin have never had a green bin and everything in my garden goes back into my garden and Mm -hmm. gets used Mm -hmm. in some form or other and it's only a small garden um but i have a lot of growth in there and i do a lot of pruning so um and it it, what i was told by someone when i mentioned this when i was talking about green waste he said you shouldn't call it green waste this is green resources so yes yes because you can make use of all these Mm. things exactly So, so it's not just the the scraps from the kitchen it's uh, every branch that gets cut down, it either gets used in the garden to make tripods or or whatever, or it gets chopped up and used as because we still have an open fire, it gets used as firewood. I coppice some of the trees around the edges of the garden and I use the timber to in the in the fires. Mm. Um, I put the charcoal back into the garden, make my own make my own. Um, Biochar. Uh, biochar, that's I, was, I knew the bio bit, I couldn't <laughs> see the chart. Um, make my own biochar. I have a worm farm where I I recycle a huge amount of stuff through through the worm farm. I rebuild I have eight um, raised beds and each year I turn one of them into my compost bin. Um, ah, that's and a great idea. I build idea. on top of it mm. with all the stuff that I've pulled out of the garden. Um, and that gradually rots down because beds, raised beds gradually lose their soil, even mm. though know, it gets great, and after eight years, they need replenishing. So rather than bringing in soil, I create my own soil. Mm. Um, and so I just describe all of this stuff that I do to, to, um, not allow it. And I have a mulch. So I mulch anything that's sort of in between that I'm not using for firewood or, um, not using for other things in the garden, mm-hmm. I just mulch it and put it back into the garden or put it back on the plants. Mm. So nothing leaves. Mm. And all
3: sound gardening practices that people have been doing for thousands of yep. years. And yep. that look, that was one of the things that kind of stuck in my craw about the whole popularity of permaculture thing was that it was talked about like it was a it was a, a new, new idea. Yeah. I thought, well, yeah. it's not really. It's, it's this what, is this has what been happening was done for, before.
2: Yeah. But it was it's it's what. Was done before mm. we had the ability to send things off our properties, mm. and before we had this whole chemical solution to mm. everything. Mm. So I, I think what we're doing is trying to go back to what our great, great, great grandfathers and grandmothers did, who were all resourceful, um, who were all resourceful yeah. and reuse things all yeah. the time yeah. um, mm. instead of throwing them out. Mm. Mm. And and you know if you if you are um, if you are only bringing into your property things that can be recycled, because one of the things I love doing is, is the t-shirts once they, because I only buy cotton t-shirts, once they start falling apart, they go into the worm farm. Yeah, cover right. the worm farm and the worms eat them. <laughs> uh, you know, they just disappear and I, you know, I think it's great. The ones that don't get used as yam, as, um, rags. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can do in little ways to, to, um, make sure that you're not adding, to the waste stream outside Absolutely. your property yeah. so, and all my paper, I, um, oh, not not all of it, but a lot of the paper that I use in the office gets shredded and goes into the worm farm as well. So yeah. Fantastic. So anyway, there's an article about that in there, which I really enjoyed writing because I've been sort of hinting at it, but it's, I said to Steve, it's time, I want to tell everyone what I actually do mm. and how I do it. Mm. Oh, that's, so, that's great.
1: great, excellent. Okay, uh, we've had a list phone-in asking uh, how to collect uh, seed and propagate native trees. Mm. That's a
2: very broad question. It
3: is, it is. Very much dependent on what you're wanting to grow, really. Uh, yeah,
1: hugely
2: and divergent yeah. ways that you do it, depending on what the tree is. Mm. That's exactly right. And
1: the other thing is, of course, we need to remind listeners, you can't go into the bush and mm. just collect seed.
2: You have to have a licence. You do need to have a mm. licence, yes. Mm. Yep, that's right
3: but so, well, you know broadly b- broadly bits of advice um you know obviously don't illegally collect your seed but if you're going to we'll start you know talking about seed I guess but depending on what you want to grow could be something herbaceous could be more tree like um you know if you're looking at things like eucalyptus or acacia or banksias um they're all pretty easy to grow from seed um you've just got to really collect your seed some of the capsules on Banksias and your eucalyptus in particular, they won't actually release their seed until they've come off the plant and they've been sitting in a hot environment for, you know, a couple of weeks. And a good spot for that is, um, you know, getting your seed capsules and putting them in a little paper bag and then leaving them on the dashboard of your car, especially when it's going to get to 35 degrees. Oh, yeah. Because it'll really help those, those capsules release their seed. And then once they do, it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of sowing it in a, in a bit of, um, seed raising mix Mm. and generally any time of year I've found I I can germinate eucalyptus pretty easily and acacia and banksia Um, they're all really quite easy from seed or you just buy your seed there's lots of there's lots of species of um, eucalyptus and uh, and banksia that you can get online these Mm. days from seed Mm. Um, and with with eucalyptus I generally just surface sow it because the seeds are so tiny Um, it's very easy to bury them to an extent where they're going to have a bit of a hard time breaking through yep. the surface, yep. um, but they're pretty straightforward, I reckon. Uh,
2: look, there's some there's some that need striations. Yeah, you true. Need, you need a bit of sandpaper to yep. to um, get through the seed coating. Otherwise, they have trouble um, breaking down enough to let the seed actually grow. Mm. What about soaking? And there's some that need soaking, and there's some that actually need smoking. Yes. Mm. So there's a fluid that you can get that is smoke has water smoke wa- is called smoke water that mm-hmm. um, that needs smoking. There's a really good book that I was just looking up called Growing Australian Native Plants from Seed. Ah. Ah. Um, by Murray Ralph. It's been out for quite a long time but it's a terrific basic primer for um, if you want to find out more about growing native plants from seed. Excellent. So it's probably worth having Having a look at in your library for that, or mm-hmm. um, you can you can buy it online. I see my sister at Victorian Native Seed has it for sale on her website. Very so. good.
3: <laughs> and what containers that you sow stuff in as well, especially with native trees, it's really good idea to use though the forestry tubes that you can get because they've got mm-hmm. these little ribs on the inside that once the once the seed germinates and it starts really extending its root system in the little pot that you put it in. Tendency for a lot of eucalyptus species to get quite root-bound quite quickly in, in containers. Mm. So these forestry tubes have little ribs on the inside that once the roots hit them, they'll actually go straight down. So it, it 100% mitigates root curling and that kind of stuff, which means once the tree goes into the ground, into the landscape, you get much better establishment. Mm. It's not going to garrot itself to death in mm. 10 years' yes. time because yes. of circling roots when you yes. plant it. Yes, um, great. So being mindful of all that kind of stuff is is important as well.
1: Excellent. Yep. yep. Okay. That number again if you'd like to uh phone in this morning. Uh remember this is our second last week so uh if you do have a gardening question, now's the time to jump on the phones. The number to speak to the team on air is 94190155 or to speak to Liz on the outside line 94198377. James, let's get to a couple of the plants you've brought in.
3: Yeah, I've brought in quite a bit this morning. And And
1: I should, sorry to interrupt you, I I should remind listeners that uh, we have uh, put the photos of these plants up on our Facebook page.
6: That's
1: right. Uh, Liz was working very hard (laughs) this morning when she arrived to uh, get all the photos up there. So if you want to know exactly what James is talking about... Have a look on uh, on our Facebook page. Simply uh, go to Facebook and uh, type in "3CR Gardening Show" and it'll all come up. Okay, over to you, James.
3: Alrighty. Um, This is just continues to grow and grow, and one of my as one of my favourite plants in my garden. Um, It's uh, Agrimony, common Agrimony, Agrimonia eupatoria, and I bought. I bought three plants around four years ago that were just tiny little things, um, and this is this is basically the ultimate height of it, probably 60 60 or 70 centimeters tall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got these really nice bipinnate leaves that are that are pretty hairy, so you know that's telling you that it's going to cope pretty well with a with a hot, dry kind of spot. Um, it's one of those adaptations to to water stress. Um, it's actually native to Europe, and it's got a it's got a really long history in literature. Um, a lot of the ancient Roman writers, you know, wrote about agrimony, so it's got it's got a very long kind of folklore attached to it as well for numerous reasons. Um, but look, this time of year, it's a it's a it's a spring and summer growing perennial, summer flowering perennial, and it's got this beautiful racemo spike that comes up. And it's got these dainty little yellow flowers. Um, and once once the main uh, flowering stems come up and flower, as this one is doing here, um, it'll actually put up a dozen secondary shoots okay. afterwards. So it'll flower for about three months of the year. Wow. Um, and it's a good, it's, it's a it really important element of yellow in my garden. I like to have yellow accents among blues and purples because mm. I think it just makes them really mm. sing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but getting something that's not going to completely overtake... Um, you know, yellow can be quite dominant colour in a garden, um, whereas this is a quite a demure way to get it in there. It's delicate,
2: isn't it? It's That's extremely right. It's delicate. not in yeah. your face. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: It's a really beautiful thing. It's
2: mm. a, it has a lot of medicinal uses. So, Does it? So, so, like so it's, like known, it's known as, as cure-all, right. um, and it's used for wounds. So they'd make poultices for okay. wounds. Okay, yeah, right. um, And it's also... Um, a, a, it, there's a legend that says if you place a sprig of it under the under someone's pillow, it, they'll stay asleep until you remove it. Oh, a bit of so winkle going having on tra- there. Or something, yeah, right. <laughs> if trouble sleeping? It might be worth that. Make sure you word someone up to take it away. Well, I grow um, hops as
3: well, so I could get them together, and you know, you could, it might just indeed. be and completely some, catatonic.
2: And some, for days. Lavender, <laughs> and some English lavender to um to help you to help you have sweet dreams as well as rosemary. Right. So those those four, and you'll you'll have a really good night's sleep. I'm going to go home and sleep for <laughs> a week. But mainly. Though. As a, as a wound herb. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they would just crush up the leaves too. and make it, yeah. and then push it into. But it was also used as a tonic. So you'd add add the um, add the leaves to spring drinks and. Yeah. Things like okay. And, I've and, I've and never eaten it, it actually, yeah. so I'm quite
3: I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. I might have a look and see if there's any little recipes added that to I can, tea as a spring tonic. Added to tea. Okay.
2: Yeah. And
1: added So you um, give it to guests in their drink and they all go to sleep.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And look, I just looked it up on Wikipedia to remind myself what it is and it tells me here that the Anglo Saxons boiled agrimony in milk and used it to improve erectile performance. There oh. you
3: go. Look at that. Sorry. Very good. <laughs> this very is your good.
2: Sunday morning tip. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just about covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Obviously a
2: very useful plant though. Yeah, look, yeah.
3: but it's not really one you see for sale very often. You'd never find it in Bunnings. Um,
2: no, no. It's an, old, it's an old-fashioned plant. Yeah. It comes in and out of favour and it's out of favour. At the but moment. soundly yeah. perennial um, yeah.
3: and multiplies mm. really well. I was
2: going to say it would grow well. From cuttings, I've,
3: presumably. I've been. You can grow it from seed as well, but I've found that it takes quite a while to get to Do a flowering stage. Do you find it self-seeds,
2: garden? No, no but no, I mulch just...
3: really well, and yeah. you know, so. But yeah. I've never had it popping up as a weed. But I'll I'll generally um, propagate it by root cuttings. Yeah. And yeah. it's really really quick mm. um, to get to a flowering stage if you propagate it that way. Yep. Um, yeah. One of it, it, it. As the years go by, the more and more. Important becomes in my front borders really.
1: Yeah, yeah it's
2: funny how you, one develops affections for particular plants. <laughs> and they, you know, they're, just, they're important to you in your garden. I well, think. the
1: other thing is that once you've once you've grown a plant for a couple of years. You realise if it's going to be really suited to your your you know particular garden climate, and if it's going to go well, if it's going to um, you know work Mm. with the other plants that you've got growing around Mm -hmm. it, then then why not propagate more and use it? You should always pick your winners,
3: I reckon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pick your winners, absolutely. And that's certainly one in mine.
1: I mean, the last thing you need is a garden that's full of that's full of plants that are struggling because they're really not suited for the location yeah. and yeah. and you're just bashing your head against a brick wall and and feeling miserable because your garden's never looking wonderful exactly mm. right yeah. exactly
3: right i agree
1: good we might go to uh our first caller and we have uh jill
5: who's in east brighton good morning jill Good morning, Pam and Penny and James. Happy Christmas to all of you. Thank thanks, you and thank you. And my heartfelt thanks for a fabulous show. You've got the best gardening show in Australia, I reckon. Ah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, not that I listen to every state, of course, but yes, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's wonderful. Um, anyway, look, I was this is this is probably difficult because I wanted you to see if you could identify a plant for me. Uh, I was walking the dogs um, yesterday day before yesterday and I found this, um, it's a, a shrub that's perhaps, you know, a metre and a half uh, high and square um, and it has these red flowers at the moment which have, it like, I think they must be bracts, they're about one and a half um, centimetres across, a nice uh, clear sort of solid red and they have what looks like little berries in the middle. Uh, of the flower. It's just so weird. I stopped and looked. The gardener sprang up and said, you're going to pick that? <laughs> and I peered <laughs> over his fence and I said, oh no, no, As a fellow gardener. I don't pick without permission. Whereupon he picked me some and I've put it, uh, put it in a vase of here. It, it's going really well in a vase. The little berry things uh, start off green and then go black and there can be multiple ones in the middle of the, of the flower or bract, whatever it is. Mm. Any idea it's a twiggy sort of thing, a twiggy kind of plant. I'm
3: struggling um, to even suggest anything, yeah, me to be too, honest. i can't. Yeah. It, it, yeah.
5: I'm, I was I rang up um uh um Stephen Ryan yesterday, but he's away. Yep. So I have photographed it and I'm a real on. but I will try and s M S him the photograph
2: when he gets yeah. back. I <clears> it just doesn't <throat> it's not um Yeah, I'm I'm if we had a photo, it it, mm. it might help. Yeah. But um, yeah. It's, look, I'm sorry. I don't think I I can't identify. Nothing was springing to mind no. From, no. from what well, you were saying. Not even a sort of suggestion of something that it might well, be. But our listeners no. may well bring in that it it's. I thought perhaps really,
3: one of the euphorbias, but there's thousands. No, of them.
2: look at yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: It, it has you know like a sort of um. How can I put it? The the twiggy kind of growth is a bit like a um, um. Oh God! Now the, my brain's going to die on me. Um. But, you know, it's a stick like sort of um you know not not fleshy not at all fleshy in the stem mm-hmm. um yeah and uh, it was just so unusual but mm. when i say that, the funny thing was i was then walking with a with a friend yesterday mm-hmm. and there were two as standards in front of a very nice garden in front of a victorian okay. place um and i thought wow you know having never seen it in my life yeah. before uh, suddenly in you know within two days <laughs> come across it. I probably should have gone and knocked on the door and said, what is it? Because the, the chap who gave me the cutting said he had no idea what it okay. was. I was
2: going to say, why didn't you ask him? Cause oh, he, obviously no, no, the I that
5: you did. <laughs> no, he was a fairly brusque gentleman. He said, yes. I have no idea. My mother, my mother,
2: Okay, so it's know, probably an old-fashioned um, one, but look, it's, yes. it's interesting that when you see, when something comes into flower, you often, and you think oh, I've yes. never seen that Walk before, them and then you'll see it half a dozen more times um, because yes. they all come into flower. Obviously yes, and one of the things I time.
5: like about it, apart from the fact that the flowers are, are really nice and they're numerous on it, um, is, you know, it's one of those shrubs that flowers at this time of year, which yep. a lot of them don't. Indeed. Uh, so, so I'm hoping that Stephen might actually stock us as well as being able to identify okay. it.
1: Yeah. Jill, Jill, can I make a suggestion because yes, um please. because Stephen is going to be i know he's back at the latest next friday right yeah. he's actually staying down <laughs> at my place in lawn at the moment
6: oh, right. oh, um, okay
1: uh, <laughs> but he's kind of going to be on the show next sunday oh okay so, so I could... if you could email the photo before next sunday <laughs> Yeah, he will so get he can the, have a look at and it. And then that way he can, even even if I get him to just check his email when he gets into the studio next Sunday morning. Yes. Um, so I'll give out his email address. I know okay. he's quite I, happy for me to do that. The
5: only thing I'm I'm a little anxious about is having taken the photograph with my uh, phone. Yep. Well, I might be able to take another one with my camera. Then I know I can put it on my,
2: okay. on my computer. Or you can yeah, send yep. it as a text. You
5: could send it as a text too. Yes, an SMS. Yes, yes. This is what I'm just learning to do. Yeah. Trying. Okay. <laughs> it's, really, it's really pathetic. I'm so many No, it's all right. I, I understand else. totally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So, um, have you got a paper and pen? Yes, I have. Okay. So his email is tugurium, which is spelled T-U-G-U-R-I-U-M, all lowercase. Yes. At bigpond.com.
5: Yes, I looked up his website yesterday. I can Google things at least. Sorry, at bigpond. dot com. That's it. Yep. Wonderful. Um, yes. Look, I'll do that. Uh, yes, I thought to myself, oh, this is really probably about pointless exercise, but I did want to ring and say thank you so much for all the work you do, and for the volunteers who man the phones. You know, they're just
1: oh, they fabulous. do a great job. <laughs> yes, we well, couldn't do the show do. without them. <laughs>
5: Yes, I know it's, it's it's a really team effort, and uh, we we gardeners greatly appreciate it. Oh, look,
1: that's great. But as I say, if you can if you can email that to Stephen, and yep. um, I'll get him onto it. And 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 even if you ring back in next Sunday, but I'll get him to check his email.
5: Yeah, I'll, that would be lovely, terrific. Thank you very very much. No problem. Thanks, Jill. Yeah, okay, Bye. and have a great Christmas. Good yeah, thanks, Jill. you too. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye.
1: Right. Next up, we have uh, Ray, who's in Mount Waverley. Good morning, Ray.
6: Good morning. Um, I'm growing uh, Lebanese cucumbers, and uh, I've got uh, they're in a hot house situation, um, and now they're out to about four inches in length, and they're looking healthy. And I water them very regularly. They're in pots. Um, now, I'm just curious with uh, the flowers. On the Lebanese cucumbers, they're still holding on to the end of the cucumber. I'm just wondering if that's a telltale sign as when the flowers drop off the actual cucumber, that's time to pick them?
2: Um, no, not necessarily. It, it's, it would suggest to me that they're perhaps not quite ready to pick yet. But okay. really, once the cucumbers reach any size, you can you can pick them. Right. Um, and it's up to you how long you leave it on the plant. So if you want cucumbers now or in a few days' time, I wouldn't hesitate to pick a couple of them and and leave the others to keep growing. Okay. Uh, if you leave them too long, they they start getting a bit tough. But um you know and it, again it depends whether whether you've actually um whether you're growing the the dwarf the small lebanese cucumbers or whether they're the full size ones
6: oh, i think they're the full size yeah
2: one. well i mean they can get very long so you know oh, you okay. can leave you they can get up to um you know, 30 40 centimeters uh, easily
6: right so okay. you
2: can leave those for much longer
6: yeah i actually um just to change the subject to lebanese cucumbers uh, i've got this short variety that i've been growing and uh, it seems like it's essential to if the, when the flower drops off, you you pick it straight away, or else the, the cucumber, the um, zucchini can actually start to die off. They're very um, okay. Yeah, because
2: that doesn't usually happen with with zucchinis.
6: You, well, uh, no, the, I'm just finding yeah. with the the this uh, Lebanese variety, which. Um,
2: so I this is a zucchini too. now, not the cucumber.
6: That's the zucchini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're closer to the ground. But the thing is. Um, yep. They, they tend to actually, as soon as the flower drops off the zucchini, mm. they will start to die off at the end a bit, or you know, yellow, okay. and it's really got to pick them quickly. You know?
2: Yeah, it, uh, usually when the flower drops off, it, um, and if it starts to rot, it means it hasn't been properly pollinated. Mm. Um, oh, okay, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so, it, but usually they're they're pretty tiny. They're you know, they're yeah. really quite tiny. So I would be getting out there with a brush, and pollinating them. Oh, um, so okay. the male flowers have, are on the longer stems. So you, yes. you put your little brush in that and then you put it onto the female flower, which has, which the, has swelling the, the, the swelling flower. behind yeah. it. Okay. Um, and yeah. that will make sure that it's been pollinated and they should keep growing.
6: Right. Well, we had some last night and they're absolutely delicious. The yep. beautiful fleshiness you get yep. out of them. Um, yeah. I-
2: and you can you can actually pick them and and eat the flower as well by and yes. stuff the flower yes. so you yes. know it's worth doing that with some of them if you've got plenty of them. Mm, yes.
6: um, can I can I try and get you for one more question? Sure. I planted um, spinach, um, some cos lettuce, and silver beets in one garden box of mine just after just on Melbourne Cup Day, mm-hmm. and in Mount Waverley or area we got a hailstorm which lasted about. 15 minutes and we got two inches of hail wow. and it sat in that garden box uh, <laughs> and I thought I've lost everything and the next day <laughs> it was only like leaf damage but what's happened is I've thought that the plants haven't really taken very well, I'm just wondering if the, the roots might have got uh, damaged in that situation at all they've actually come on now but that's five weeks on okay. but uh, I just wanted with, with almost uh, a block of ice sitting on them on the ground for uh, three hours.
2: Look, it wouldn't have helped. But uh, if they're they're growing again now, I I wouldn't worry about them. I'd I'd just be very pleased that you've got got them growing really well. But, uh, look... Anything, anything, any atypical weather when you've got a crop in mm. that's yeah. expecting gradually warming weather and a bit of water and all that sort of thing. It's like having a snowfall or a heavy frost mm. when you're uh, completely out of season mm. Um, mm. is going to damage, if not kill a crop if it's, if it can't cope with it. So yeah, well, you've, you've done really well to Well, have the that next
6: day there be. was hail all on the streets and that, yep. you know, yep. that still hadn't even melted. Yeah, so. right. Yeah.
3: So the well, hail hung around for quite a while. After mm. it fell. Well, if you've
2: got two yeah, inches right. of it, yeah. know, it's like a snowfall. It's pretty like a solid blanket yeah. until, it heat, until you get the warmth. That yeah. is extensive, yeah. Mm. Mm.
6: Well, thank you very much for all your time there and all the best for Christmas. Okay, yeah, you good too. Good on you. Bye. Right, thank you. Bye.
1: James, before I move on, a listener wants you to uh, mention the name of the uh, plant again. Ye-
3: yellow Flowers of Agrimony, Agrimonia eupatoria. Um, Can you spell it? Uh, A G R I M O N Y um uh that's the common name the scientific name is I'm just going to have to look at it I'm sorry A G
2: R I M and Grim O N I A and E U P-A-T-O-R-I-A. Yep. Yeah,
3: brilliant. <laughs> Perfect. No worries.
1: Okay, <clears throat> uh, next up we're going to uh, Robert out in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert.
0: Good morning, and uh, season's greetings to, to gardeners everywhere. Thank you. The uh, description of the uh, funny little uh, flower arrangement that the lady rang up a moment ago, uh, wife and I know it as Ochna. Ochna. That's the I believe, because right. it. We've got one out at the front of our garden and it's got that funny little fruit thing on it at the moment.
3: Okay. And I think it's quite a, a bit of a weed in Queensland as well. doesn't necessarily mean no, that it is okay. down here.
2: Yes, that looks... Um, <clears throat>
3: It almost looks like a hypericum or something, doesn't yeah. it? Or like in that family. In the
2: Brisbane City Council it's mm. a it's a weed right, that they're not at all happy with. Okay. So with our warming climate it could be I guess it could become weedy down here, couldn't
3: it? Mm. Could be one of those sleeper plants. Yeah. yeah. So
2: uh, Ochna serulata. Cer- o. C. H. N. A., you're quite right. S-E-R-R-U-L-A-T-A. And From the
0: uh, nature of the growth of the one that we've got, uh, it, uh, uh, it it doesn't tend to
6: tend to be weedy here. Yeah,
2: mm. I, I, I guess all I'm saying is that if it's weedy mm. in, 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 in Queensland, if, is. Yes. if the weather warms up, it could become weedy down mm. here. So, yeah, yeah, but a very striking plant. I can see why why um, it looked really interesting mm. to it our caller, mm. Jill. It's quite a novelty. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's great. I knew our listeners would know. Oh, <laughs> our listeners go. are All fabulous. Right. Good on you, Robert. All thank right. you. Cheers, Thanks, Robert.
1: Robert. If you'd like to join us this morning, do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to Penny and James. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. James, let's go to another plant.
3: Uh next one on the list um I've brought in quite a number of plants with a bit of a blue theme today actually there's um the main colour scheme in my front borders is, is a lot of blues with a little bit mm. of dark purples and then little bits of yellow to kind of set it all off.
2: And some of them are nice smoky blues.
3: Yeah, they are, yeah. And they the, those smoky blues I find are really good in those border situations um, to tie in other, like, grey foliage plants mm. as well. So there's a, there's a whole lot of that going on in my front garden at the moment. But this is Russian sage. It's a plant that's really gained in popularity a lot in the last maybe five or ten years. And with good reason, Um, it's a a herbaceous perennial. Um, It grows to about... This is a cultivar called Little Spires. um, And it grows to about... Its ultimate height is about a metre by about a metre across. But it's got this beautiful habit of being very kind of cloudy and airy. um, But it's got really, really nice kind of grey-green foliage that's heavily dissected and then it's topped with these... Flowers, um, this this inflorescence, and it flowers for months and months. Mm. I'm <clears> smelling
1: <throat> the foliage because you've just rubbed your hand up the stem, mm. and yeah. it's quite strong. It is mm. very strong. Yes. Yeah.
2: So can I can I just point out, although it's called Russian Russian sage, it's not a sage. It's not a sage. So no. it's not a salvia. It's a no. totally, right. totally different family. But it's yeah. fa- it's a fantastic plant.
3: Problem with common names, you know, yeah. that's the thing. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah. Um,
3: but an easy one to look after. It's a really good one for winter structure as well, because mm. despite the fact that it's a it's a spring and summer grower and summer flowerer and it'll flower all the way into autumn as well. Um, the the above ground parts of the plant will actually hang around for a long time um, and give you a really nice you know they, you get that kind of skeleton um, mm. effect from it in mm. the winter time. And then once I start noticing it growing from the base again you know, when we come into spring, I'd cut all the other all the other um, spikes to the ground that have you know been dead and dagging around for a while. But um, the smell of the leaves is, is you know, the reason that I planted it along the edge of a path. So Mm. you'll actually kind of brush against it as Mm. you come in the front garden Mm. Um, because it is highly scented and and look really beautiful. And it just flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers. It started about two weeks ago, and it will literally go until, like, March or April. Yep. Um, so a really good value plant, really easy to look after. It does get a bit of rain dagging about it, you know. Once you know you get that light mm. shower or heavy downpour that we've had the last couple of days, and it'll tend to flop about a bit.
2: Do you but, find that sometimes the spikes get too tall and break? Yeah, I, f- I do. I find that a little bit with mine. Yeah,
3: um, that's that lodging thing that some of them can do, where they get yeah. a little bit top heavy sometimes. Mm. But mm. Um, it it'll quite happily put up new shoots yeah, throughout yeah. the growing season. Yeah. So if it does so do that, it gets replaced. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Yes. I just cut it to the ground and the next one's...
2: And I like picking them and bringing them inside, both for the scent and for the flowers. Mm. And because once they get too tall, you know that they're probably going to fall over. So That's I right. tend to do that and that encourages new growth. Yep.
3: And, you know, a really, really easy plant to grow, really. Yeah. And and good value over a yeah. long season. Um, just gorgeous. Definitely. And um,
1: Okay, another blue one.
3: Yeah, keeping on the blue theme... Um, this i've got i've got a couple of Oryngiums in the front garden um and i've always really really liked them um and these two uh this is this is the one that i've been growing the longest, um, Oryngium planum. It was on my first plant list when I went to Burnley. Okay. So I've got this kind of, you know, weird romantic <laughs> attachment to it for that <laughs> reason alone. Um, but it's a really, really good plant. It's, it's another herbaceous perennial, very deep rooted, extremely tough, um, puts out these kind of bizarre leaves that grow really close to the ground. And They're then almost
2: ex- cabbagey, aren't they? They are yeah, almost yes, they
6: cabbagey,
3: are. yeah. So the the leaves themselves before it even starts flowering look really luscious and nice early on in the season. And then from around mid spring all the way through to late summer, they put up these beautiful Spikes of, well, the the flowers themselves are very spiky as well, some more than others.
2: You might need to describe the flower to people who don't know what a rigium is. Yeah,
3: it's got a, it's got like a, it's like a a thistle kind of flower, I think. A lot of people, when they'll walk past the front garden, will refer to them as thistles. You know, what's Mm. the thistle plant there? Yes. Um, But the inflorescence is made up of, you know, a couple of dozen little flowers, little kind of thistle flowers. Um, They're like and little cones
2: aren't they, they are they 've yeah. got it
3: 's it's, it's a hard one to describe, actually, mm. so you know thank god we 've got the the pictures on the internet happening um, but there 's that dusky blueness about it that goes really well with the Perovskia mm. and then you know it 's one of the reasons why i grow them I grow them um, together in the borders um, and then there 's this cultivar it 's another species of Oryngium, Oryngium burgadii, and the cultivar is known as Oxford blue. Um, same characteristics, but the flowers are much—you um, know—they're—they're they're a bit bigger than Oryngium Planum*, um, and they go this—this this amazing kind of almost cobalt blue at this mm. time of year. Mm. Um, it's and almost iridescent. Isn't it, it is, yeah. Mm. It does—it's—it kind of hurts your eyes <laughs> to mm. some extent. It's a really unusual plant, um, and the leaves of Oryngium Bulgarii* are very. They're very tough and leathery and really quite spiky, and you can do yourself an injury by trying to, you know, weed around it. Um, But But they look beautiful. They are just Mm. stunning. Um, But Penny was asking me before we came on air, she said, how do you find this plant? You know, Penny said that she's tried to grow it before and hasn't had much luck with it. I find it very temperamental. I've got three of them. Um, Mm. I, I bought three of them several years ago, two of which... Have really just continued to not really grow beyond the size they were when they were in the pot, despite the fact that they will come back every year. Right. But there was one plant that settled in really happily. That's now about two feet across and has formed um, a good size clump. Last year was the first year that it really got any presence about it at all since I first planted it. Whereas this year, it's all you know, it's all coming together and it looks it looks great. It's nice and full. Mm. Um, mm. There's 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 a lot of it around and like the you know like everything in my front garden and like the perovskia and like the first Oryngium, Oryngium planum they flower over months and, months and months and months and months and months and then you also get that winter hang around of the of the of the flowers and um so yeah but great for,
2: for me with with plants it says that but just because a plant doesn't thrive for you doesn't mean you're a lousy gardener. It means that maybe you need to try it in a different position. Mm, mm. Maybe you need to try it in two or three different positions yeah. and yep. then if it doesn't grow, maybe it's just not suited to yeah, your area yeah. or so your you soil. Need to, you need to try something else. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, that's one of the things <clears throat> I love about gardening is that is that you keep trying new things mm. and it's one of the things that this year, because I've had... So many weeds. So I've now got a whole lot of gaps in the garden. I get to try a whole lot of new things. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've lost plants. It's the gardener's curse, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, there's,
3: there's always something. There's a if, if there's the little space that's opened up. You're like, mm. oh,
2: what can I put, in, put there? in there?
6: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> the other thing is uh, we should mention that oryngium, uh Some people might know it more as sea holly. Sea holly, of
3: course, of yep. course. Mm. I'm um, I'm I'm not great with common names a lot of the time unfortunately but when we're talking about the kind of difference between the or the the relationship between grey foliage plants and the blues um and the soft greens um they they go they go very well with grey foliage plants and this is just helichrysum petiolare um the licorice plant I think is its common okay. name um it's just starting to flower in my garden I grow it mainly as a foliage plant um, but those, those greys on that, on, on the helichrysum, um, picking up on the greys in a lot of the, a lot of the herbaceous stuff, um, they make a really good, they make a really good couple when mm. they're, you know, growing it in the same. It grows kind of more area as a small shrub. It does. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a small kind of scrambling shrub to about knee height, I would say. Yeah. yeah so very different habit to the rest of the things that I brought in, but, um, combine really nicely with Oh them. yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to uh, jump on the phones and give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. The number to speak to Penny and James is 94190155 or to speak to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. (coughs) Uh, A listener, uh, Peter from Notting Hill Um, has rung in to say he bought an okna from a shop in an old petrol station in police road in Mulgrave. they have flowers out the front but if you go inside there are fruit and ornamental plants and that's where he managed to buy it so it is around if you look hard (laughs) so there you go Yep. yep and uh Louise uh, rang to advise the common name is Mickey Mouse Plant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Would that, that sort of
2: make sense, yeah. looking at the plant? The ears? Yes. Yeah, yes. 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 and the berry, the nose, the berry in the middle is the nose.
1: Okay. Yeah, terrific. Oh, well, there you go. Fantastic. All right. Um, <coughs> Penny, we should mention that uh, that uh, Organic Gardener, as well as having the latest magazine just, yep. just come out, um, they've done their
2: usual calendar and diary they've done, exactly yeah, and yeah.
1: these calendars are, are really beautiful they hard color cover nice and sturdy and it's got uh, organic gardener planner inside yeah, yep. so um it's, it's a
2: th- terrific diary to use I, I find you know it's got the full week in the spread and i i just use it for everything i know lots of people are using electronic diaries these days but It's, um, I'd still use a paper diary, um, for all sorts of reasons. I can't Um, live without a paper (laughs) diary. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. It's, uh, it's a generational thing, I think. Um, I, I'm sure it is, yes. yeah. But yeah. It, look, it's, I, get, I just get pleasure out of using them and the calendar has fabulous photos in it. And, and it's got an um,
1: action plan, uh, yep, after some yep. of the, uh, chapters yeah, yeah for the different yeah, seasons. And,
2: and some lovely photographs so that you get to enjoy the photographs mm. and the comments and things mm. as you, as you're using it, mm. you know. And Sorry, the calendar, fine.
1: of course, has the most gorgeous photographs on it. It does. Very beautiful. And as well as, as well as Organic Gardener, ABC Gardening Australia also put out, um, a diary and a calendar. Uh, now these, uh, calendars and diaries all retail for 17 95 each. But, um, we've been very lucky and a big thank you to Organic Gardener and to ABC, uh, Gardening Australia. We have, um, for two very lucky listeners, a special uh, discounted price. If you'd like to ring in and grab um, one copy of the calendar and the diary, uh, today, just for our listeners, we're going to give away that bundle of the two for $30, so we've got a bundle which is Organic Gardener um, Calendar and Diary and another bundle for another listener which is uh, Gardening Australia Calendar and Diary. So uh, if you'd like to ring in and support The Gardening Show and get yourself um, a couple of nice Christmas presents or you could give uh, both of them away individually or you could keep one for yourself and give the other one away. Uh, but do give us a call. On nine four one nine zero one double five, and uh, as I say, you can have uh, the diary and the calendar for thirty dollars. Now there is one proviso: um, I don't want to trust uh, Australia Post. We're too close to Christmas. You can either collect them here from the station, uh, which would be the safest means. You could you can still pay by um, by cash or credit card or bring in a cheque but you will need to come into the station at 21 Smith Street in uh, Fitzroy, just up from Victoria Parade, to collect them. If you want to pop down to the station now before we leave at 9.15 even, you can pop in and uh, grab one of these. But uh, but uh, they will be available for collection from the station during office hours, during the week, um, if you'd like to have uh, one of these bundles. So uh, uh, 01 double five, speak to Jan and give her your details and we'll pop them aside for you. Okay. Uh, 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 oh, the, the listener that mentioned it's uh, the plant, the Okna is called Mickey Mouse Plant. Um, it's in the Bot Gardens uh, Director's Tunnel, which is on the way to the perennial border if someone's okay. wanting to go mm. along and, yep. and have, have a, look a look at that one.
2: That yeah. perennial
3: border or are we looking smashing? It's beautiful. This?
2: Oh, yeah. I saw it. I saw it at the beginning of the week. Yeah, well, it's yeah, just <laughs> gorgeous.
3: It's
0: looking fabulous,
2: fantastic. Yeah, really good.
1: <clears throat> okay, um, as I say, we're we're running through uh, until nine fifteen. So uh, do get on the the phones and give us a call, nine four one nine zero one double five, or to speak to Liz,
2: nine four one nine eight three double seven. Penny, you've got a plant there. I did bring this in because it's in flower in my garden at the moment, and um. This is one of my favorite plants, mm-hmm. and it's one that I've grown for years and years, and it's called Meadowsweet, um, Philippendula ulmeria and it's, a, it's very much definitely a herbal plant. Mm-hmm. It's the pla- it contains salicylic acid, which is the component of aspirin, and it's the plant that aspirin was first synthesized from. Its original botanic name is, was Spirea, um, Ulmeria, and the aspirin actually comes from Spirea from its, um, original botanical name. So right. for something with such a, an amazing history, mm. um, it grows, it likes to be slightly damp, so I actually grow this next to my pond. Right. Um, and each year it grows this beautiful rosette of, of leaves. They're actually, I guess, sort of slightly Blackberry-like, but it's, yeah, they it's do look not. It's though. nothing. Or a bit hoppy or something. Or a bit hoppy, but an attractive rosette, um, mm. and then puts up these really tall flower stems. This is this is about a metre and a half high. Right. Um, and it has these dense white flowers that have mm. an almond scent to it, although I have actually been smelling this this morning, and I can't smell the almond on it this time. It's weird the way smell works sometimes. But um, you can you can add the flowers to food, um, you can make a tea out of the out of the leaves and the flowers um and it, uh, f- to help reduce fever so it has mm-hmm. an aspirin like mm-hmm. effect because okay. of the salicylic acid in it and um it's it's just it's just a gorgeous plant, and I love it because of the history associated mm. with it. I love mm. being able to walk around my garden and think, oh, yeah, well, that was used for that, and this yeah. this has this history and all that sort so of thing. So would that mean
1: that someone who's on blood-thinning medications shouldn't drink the tea? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think
2: so. And so, uh, look, all those all those sorts of things apply, but it, it's the sort of thing that if you're going to take it every day, <laughs> you need to be careful. If you're yeah. going to have the, an occasional cup of it, you're, you will be fine. Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah. Any – you can't assume that medicinal plants are safe. Mm. No, you in can't. inverted commas. Yes. You know, they have, they have chemical attributes and, and they will do well, things too. Well, that's where a do. lot of our medications <laughs> yeah. come from. Indeed. <laughs> so, Indeed. No. Uh, um, they're, they're not but innocent. Even, <laughs> but even things like tea and coffee, I mean, you shouldn't overdo it with those mm. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah. you just need to exercise common sense really mm-hmm. yep. Is, yep. The, is the mantra. Definitely, that. but I I think it's a great plant, and it looks like
3: it just goes straight up. That does doesn't take up much kind of horizontal doesn't space. Doesn't take up much horizontal yeah, space. Okay, so all. nice for nice yeah. for accents flowering yes. amongst other yeah. stuff.
2: But it does need to be damp. Right, so right. that's that's why. I, what I actually have done in my big in my big pond is, uh, the corners I've put a bit of timber across. And filled it with soil, mm-hmm. with a bit of um, shade cloth underneath to mm. hold the soil there. And then oh, okay. planted, I plant things like this in, actually into that soil, mm-hmm. so that um, it has moisture from the, pot from the all pond all the time. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it works really well. It's been growing there really well with with um, sweet flag. Is another um, herb that really likes a bit of moisture, so it grows with the sweet flag. And mm-hmm. in the other corner, I grow water chestnuts. All right. So right. yeah. So it works. And it
3: works. with the scent of it, is it something that, you know, a lot of plants will pump out that scent in the evening? Is it a time of day um, thing? Or yeah, you look, I,
2: I suspect that it's the amount of water that it's had in the last few days. Okay. It's just diluted everything. That yeah, would be my yeah, guess. Sure. You sometimes find that, that scents... After really heavy rain, mm-hmm. that that some of the scents just disappear. Mm. And yep. if it's a mild scent, yep. and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I am surprised that I can't that none of us, so it's not just no, me. Yeah, none yeah. of no, us no, can no. actually smell that mm. that mild sweet almond yep, scent. Yep, but yep, yeah. They're well, of course, too, product. it
1: depends on the pollinator. I mean, if it was a moth, then then that would explain a mm. more evening yep. um, perfume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but, yep. um, but I,
2: I've, I I know I can smell it walking around during the day. Yeah. yes. So, yeah. yes. Yep. Okay, fair enough.
1: Now, Penny, you wanted to. To talk about um oh, the your tomato book,
2: book. <laughs> yeah. our book our tomato book yeah and Janice's and mine um but look we've had an interesting time of it because when we when we and I just thought the listeners might be interested to hear the background of it because for us it's been a huge learning experience being a self-published book and when we um got around to sorting out how we were going to distribute it we decided to put half of them through a distributor and take half of them ourselves and and sell them ourselves and um Karen the three of us have been doing quite well selling our own copies of the book um, through our websites and, and doing talks and that sort of thing uh, but we the half that went through the to the distributor so fifteen hundred one thousand five hundred books um the distributor we were supposed to be distributing through went into liquidation the oh. week that the books were arriving in Australia. So we had to, I had to divert the books and they ended up at my place. So both Karen's and my books and the 15, and I had five and a half tonnes of <laughs> tomato books delivered to my place, <laughs> Floor which, to we, which we unloaded and stacked in our downstairs living room. Um, but, and we found a new distributor, but they're in New South Wales. Mm. Um, so we got them up. I got, one 500-odd like of, of them up as soon as we decided to go with them. Um, and then they wanted the next 500 and then they wanted the next 500 and they have almost sold out. Goodness. Which is really, really exciting mm. in that time. But, but when we say sold out, it means that they've gone into bookshops. Mm. It doesn't mean that that bookshops have sold them. Yes. So there's a system in the book world where bookshops can um, take books and if they don't sell them within a certain length of time, they can return them and get their money back. (coughs) That's for new books. Yep. Um, So we don't know whether there's going to be a whole lot of returns or not. So that's the risk that you take. And and as self-published authors, we um, have had to make a decision to go and do a reprint because we also don't want the books to run out Mm. and people not to be able to get hold of them. So there's a fairly good chance that it will actually be out of print for a short time as far as bookshops are concerned, although um, we will still have books ourselves. But what's happened is that in ordering a reprint, paper has got scarce. So the price has gone up. Mm. Oh. And because the dollar has changed, the price has gone up a bit too. So we're mm. actually, with the reprint, going to have to put the price up $5. Wow. Right. Right. So I just, I just thought the listeners might be interested to know the background story because it's mm. the last thing that we really want to do. But if you want to get a copy of the tomato book at the existing price, which is $60, you may want to go and look for it in bookshops now. Immediately. Immediately. Yes. Or if you get a book batch of Christmas and you wanted a copy, you know, go to your local bookshop and support your. I'm all for supporting your local bookshops. But mm. once we get the new edition, which, which probably, it's, it's actually a reprint, not a new edition, because we're not making any changes. No, no. Except that we've had to put it, use a different paper, which was a bit more expensive. Mm. Um, once that get, that finds its way into bookshops, it'll be $65 Right. Um, because it just wasn't worth doing a, a reprint without putting the price up um, mm-hmm. with all the effort that goes into it and, and money that we have to pay and all that sort of thing. So yeah. it's been, you know, I've said this before to Michael, my publisher at Highland House, who's a great guy and supports um, 3CR and all the rest of it i just hadn 't realized how hard it was <laughs> being a publisher um, until i until I sort of took on this project um, and and um, and certainly having the distributor going into liquidation didn't help. No, that, that um, didn't help. And, and that was like unpredicted. Yeah. And it, it's been great that the book has done so well. But it then even though it's done well and people say, oh, isn't that fantastic, you have to then explain that there are also problems associated mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're just so thrilled that the, everyone has been so positive about it. So, you know, thank you to everyone for your support. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to explain in advance what will happen next year and why the price was going up. Okay.
1: But definitely um, if people also want a copy, they can get it from you or Karen or, yeah, or if or in Tasmania yeah. ja- to Janice. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: No, we're all selling them through our website. So, yeah.
3: yeah. Tomatoes have to be one of the you know most loved backyard crops, really, that people grow.
2: Yeah, but look, I, I hadn't it's... quite thought it all through when I, um, when I did tomato, when we embarked on tomato, but oh. somehow I've managed to choose the two things that most people are most interested in, which is garlic and tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> you have done well the last couple so of years. I'm very now, well. I'm now getting requests from people to come and do talks on garlic and tomatoes. Yeah, right. it's well, um, a good combination. Know, yeah. I know, but there's some. I mean, I can talk for two hours about garlic on its own, and, and yet, they want you to sort of talk about garlic and tomatoes and fit it all into a half all, hour talk. Yes. So,
3: your, ne- your next book should be your book should be on beef farming, and then you'll have the beginnings of beef. bolognese. Oh, know, ah, know,
1: garlic. I was and thinking basil. <laughs> very you know, lovely.
2: We're thinking recipes here. <laughs> Well, look, the lovely thing about tomatoes is that you have the whole tomato growing season. Yeah. And then because we have all Janice's fabulous recipes in there, we have the whole tomato use season. Yeah. So that yes. that's coming up yep. with all the tomato festivals yes. and the making of passata and all that sort of thing. We oh, do our
3: passata yes. making every two years and we make enough okay. to last us two years. Oh, well, and, okay. you know, yeah. it's a great thing. It's a really, really good thing. Yeah. I've never actually gone and done it with an Italian family. I I think it's that always would be something so we've just done on our fun. own. I'd yeah. love to do that. I would love to see well, the whole family
6: own <laughs> Italian family and <laughs> to ask them
2: over to
1: your place.
3: That's pretty much <laughs> what Ligabent we've been Italian doing. neighbour,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll probably have their own traditional recipe as well. Well, that's right, yeah. and everyone
3: does it slightly differently oh, yeah. with yeah. that. Lots of, making, of variations, so, like,
2: yeah. Yeah. and I, I every year I make my grandfather's tomato sauce recipe, and that's in the book, and yeah. that's a fabulous tomato sauce. Although I've altered it slightly by adding a bit of chili and mm-hmm. some native pepper to it, but. Otherwise, it's the same recipe that he was making, you know, 50, 60, 70 years yeah, ago. So, great. Yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, I love that tradition. I think even you don't have to be a to have the, the tradition of tomato recipes of different sorts within mm. the family. And Karen's grandmother's green tomato um, recipe is in there as well. So, awesome yeah awesome
1: I have to say that uh, the organic uh, gardener calendar and diary has gone we do still have uh, one bundle left though which is the gardening Australia diary and calendar so uh, if you want to snatch that up before that goes to the gardening
2: um, Australia can I just say the calendar is all flowers pretty mm-hmm. much apart from apart from and one, a one bunch picture, of garlic a, a bunch of garlic <laughs> and the the um, October one is my photo of children. Yep, well there so, you go. Which is which is um, they're beautiful tulips. Okay. So, yeah.
1: So if you want to jump in and grab um, an early Christmas present for yourself or for friends or family, um, we've got one uh, diary and calendar left, which is the Gardening Australia one for $30, and that's helping to support uh, 3CR and The Gardening Show as well. So uh, if you'd like to grab that one, just ring in to uh, Jan on 94190155. Now, a caller wants to know how to make her hydrangeas flower. Lots of foliage, no buds. Mm. I'd say the first thing, look at when you're pruning and how you're pruning. Absolutely. Because it's very easy to prune off. Where the flowers are going to come from, isn't it, James? Yes,
3: very easy, very easy. Um, they're one of those things that you can get a bit gung-ho with pruning, but if you do, you are going to cut off all of next year's flowers, basically. That's right. Um, you've got to be careful about what buds you cut back to when you are giving them their, their kind of late autumn winter prune. Mm. Um, I'll always cut back to a point on the stem where there are two buds coming out of the stem, and if you if you go any further than that, you do run the serious risk of completely...
2: And what time do you prune?
3: I I generally do it late autumn kind of early winter yeah. um I I generally don't wait for them to they can they can lose quite a lot of their leaves I find it's kind of easy to pick that point where they're going to grow mm. from next year and flower nice and strongly when they've still got a bit of a bit of the foliage on them um, so, yeah, unfortunately, if you have cut them back too hard, you're probably not going to see any flowers this That's year. That's right. Yeah, so it's and one of those things. Traditionally,
1: people used to be told to cut hydrangeas to the ground. Well, that, you'd lose all your flowers mm. that way every That's right. year. Um, the other thing is, James, um, I've always cut back, uh, the, the branches that have flowered <coughs> in that pre, that year. Yep. But I leave the ones that haven't flowered.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, right.
1: So I've always been taught that uh, by leaving the ones that haven't flowered, that's <laughs> where the flowers are mostly going to come from in yep. the in the following sure.
3: uh, year. You can you can cut them back as well, and I generally do, but it's it's one of those things, it depends on the situation you're in really and depends on the garden that you're working in. I, I always give the whole lot of prune because the clients that I have that grow them, I like to keep them tight and in their place because... Yes. The tendency for that current season's growth, if you leave that, it can get really quite, quite floppy and large in the in the following season. So I'll generally give them a little bit of a pair back mm. as well, and it generally won't spoil flowering as long as you as long as you're careful about each cut that you make.
2: Yep.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, um, those... is
2: it is it possible they've also been overfed?
3: It could uh, be
1: yeah. actually, yeah. Certainly, a possibility yeah. too much nitrogen, which is just Get going a to lot encourage of all the leaves, and not, not a lot
2: of plants. Yep. Yeah,
1: yep. Uh, so yeah, I th- I'd say look to the pruning because they're
2: pretty mm. tough plants, so oh, you don't need to. Are. You don't need to feed them too much, and mm. sometimes you know, right. Um, cutting back on the feed will actually make them more floriferous. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know whether whether you could try a little bit of potash. Maybe to yep. also try and encourage um, flowering. Right. Mm. Yeah. But uh, generally, most people that have problems, it's, it's usually because the it's the pruning. Yeah. They've, they've yeah. pruned it too yeah. hard, and yeah. And you're
3: just gonna have to wait till next year if that's the case. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, those uh, All of the uh, calendars and the diaries have gone now. Thank you to those two listeners. I hope you uh, really enjoy those or uh, whoever you're giving them to, as gifts to totally enjoy them because uh, I think they're fantastic productions. Mm. Uh, they're really, really nice. Um, James, you're, I know you've been flat out working mm. on different gardens. Mm. Tell mm. us about some of the you know, projects you're working on at oh, the moment.
3: One of the one of the projects I've got uh, on the go at the moment is um, a pretty extensive roof garden in St Kilda. Oh, that's um, interesting. I've got clients who have just bought an entire building on Fitzroy Street okay. in St Kilda. And wow there's a large roof terrace um, that was put on the building when the last renovation was done and um, the client's are wanting a pretty hefty extensive roof garden mm. so i'm basically having to get an engineering degree reading in my spare time <laughs> as to how yes. how this What's thing is going to fit together yes. yeah yes the weight yeah.
2: and yeah and the water flow and absolutely all yeah. like that. it's all yeah. it's all very it's very complex
3: it's like a rubik's cube in my mind yes. you know and i'm just having to chip away at it bit by bit but um, Um, There's been a few delays with the clients actually taking possession of the place. Um, I've been looking after their old garden in Ascot Vale. Um, So we're still kicking around um, concept ideas, and I'm just making sure that I'm not drawing things and making pretty pictures of something that we're going to give to a we're going to give to a firm to build it, and their engineer is just going to look at it and go, "Well, there's so there's, there's two hundred tons too much weight in this, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be something that you, you you take your time with, and you've got to make a lot of a lot of calculations about weight along the way, um, yes. and ha- trying to make sure it's all. As accurate as possible, so when we hand it over to an engineer, they don't, don't just completely bin it and say, well, mm. you know, we can do a tenth of mm. that. So, um, that's one of the more, that's one of the more mind bending projects oh, I'm involved yes. with at the moment. Well, but the
1: other thing is, 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 consideration of, of, um, your planting guide because, oh, yeah. because up on a roof, it's going to get a lot of heat. It's going to get a lot of wind. Absolutely. So you're really going to have to think of that whole plant palette for yeah. a roof situation, yeah. aren't you?
3: That's right. And it's a really high profile building in a really high profile spot. Wow. And I've been saying to them, you know, it's gonna it's gonna look great. Um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna turn out and and really knock people's socks off.
1: What a great but entertaining it could, space. It's really it's, it's
3: really cool. Yeah. Wow. So you stand you stand on the roof of this building and looking towards the front of the building you've got um the view of the city you've got fitzroy street just below you and then looking to the left you're looking all the way down fitzroy street to the bay and to the pier and wow it's just like the archetypal st kilda view really yes, yeah yes. it's it's a really Fantastic. good thing but like you say very challenging yep there is a little bit of infrastructure on the roof that um that's going to be retained because it's going to help um it's kind of going to help a lot of a lot of the a lot of the wind issues that we're going to get so the previous owners have used a lot of um Metal louvers that you can open and shut as a way oh, okay. of, you know, either screening the wind out entirely or just lessening it. Um, so that's that's certainly going to work its way into the new design. Um, but uh, apart from that, I've got a couple of a couple of front and backyard um, designs to redo. I've done a little um, a revamp and a resurfacing um, basically of a of a little garden in North Fitzroy recently. Um, but uh, I've also recently taken on an apprentice, so the business is growing. Oh and wow, it must be! My apprentice is also my nephew, so I'm working him twice as hard as I would otherwise. Yeah.
1: Uh, they say you should never work with family or friends. I'm warning you. Oh well,
3: it could be the end of a beautiful friendship. But we'll see. You know, it's, it just needs a bit of tough love at the moment. So, <laughs> but
1: that's exciting. And, yeah, and it he is. He's going to learn heaps. So.
3: Yeah, that's right. And he's he's moved down from Queensland, and he wants to. um He wants to enrol in something horticultural next year. He's not sure exactly what, but um, it's it's good to have him on board. He's asking the right kind of questions, and he's asking lots of questions. He's actually... That's a really good interesting start. and engaged. Yeah. And yeah. you know, he's seventeen Wonderful. and he's a plant nerd already and I'm like,
2: Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pam, can um, I just mention when talking about um rooftops, mm. roof gardens, there's a really good guide that Melbourne University put out that's digital and free online. It's called Growing Green Guide, a guide to green roofs, walls <laughs> and facades. And it's 142 pages, so there's a lot of really Gosh. good detailed information. It's there a not. great one. And I remember when I read it the first time, they talked about reinforcing and you know doing doing the stuff that that you're needing to think mm. about. But even if you're doing a small one on a shed roof or something like that, it's a it's a really good one to mm. to have a look at. Mm. So if you just Google it. I found it quite quickly just putting in Melbourne University and Rooftop, but it's actually called Growing Green card.
3: One of the things um, that I've been finding with the doing a lot of the research for, for roof gardens is that um, despite the fact that they're highly specialised things, there seem to be a lot of resources out there that has put... The intellectual property of all the gardens that have been built yep. before yep. out into the public domain. It's amazing. It's an encouragement of yep. wanting, wanting peoples and wa- wanting municipalities yep. to foster the creation of these spaces yep. because they really are, they're the gardens of the future, yep. essentially. Yep.
2: And with more and more development, we need to have more and more rooftop and veranda and mm. um, balcony gardens and all that sort of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, mm. it's absolutely important. And um, yeah and it's good important that it's done properly mm, absolutely
3: and, and we've that...
1: really got to encourage greening up our cities <laughs> mm. yeah we've got to we've yep. got to get them cooler yeah
2: mm. I mean it's the work that's being done into into urban forests is mm. really is really good and I think Melbourne in, to, in some extent is leading the way in, mm. in some of that with what the Botanic Gardens are doing and what Melbourne City is doing with tracking all the trees and identifying everything, and, mm. and urban forests are just so important, oh, but gosh, we yes. need more green spaces, mm. um, whether it's on rooftops or on roof walls or on, you know, wherever.
3: All, yep. of, all of the yep. above, really.
2: Yep, yep. absolutely.
3: Um, and there's that thing in the news again, this this week um, generally comes around this time of year, but people writing love letters to trees around oh, Melbourne. yes, yeah, yes! That just, that just tickles me every year when <laughs> yep. that happens. I really love it. And then you just, you don't realise that despite the fact that you know, we're all plant people and we all love we all love that kind of stuff and we can go on and on and on about it. Yep. But, you know, the people that you wouldn't necessarily expect or that wouldn't consider themselves plant people mm. yep. have a real love for a certain tree that they walk yep. past on their way to I've work every day. I've been reading up some like of these
1: that. emails that people email to trees and it's, uh-huh. it's, it's just it's <laughs> yeah, so amusing. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, we might go to our next caller. We have... Um, Stephen out in Croydon Good morning Stephen
0: Yes good morning Thanks very much Look over the years I've uh, watched gardening programs And I've seen the raised garden beds And I've admired how rich the black soil is Uh, Now I've never taken much notice until now Because I'm interested in in making a garden bed Now how would I get it to the stage Where it has that sort of soil And what would I put on the bottom Near the ground please
3: Okay Well that's that's a big question Um when you're looking at that really beautiful chocolatey soil that you see in a lot of vegetable gardens and raised vegetable gardens, um, I always tell people that it's basically a five-year project to get your soil to that extent. Um, when you're growing productive crops, looking after your soil is really the most important management consideration that should be in your mind because you're growing stuff that is... Growing fast, it's fruiting heavily, it's leafing out really quickly, and that is constantly pulling nutrients out of the soil, so you've really got to replenish those nutrients, you know, as you harvest, and I've always thought about it as when you, when you pull something out of your veggie garden, you should be thinking about putting nutrients back in somehow, whether that's through manures, um, manures and composts are kind of in the same category, although composts aren't, you know, technically going to give you much fertilizer value, but they will help fertilisers that are already in the soil stay in the soil and stop them from leaching. But look, to answer your question, really, um, what you want to put on that bottom layer, um, I've built garden beds in the past where I've done a little bit of um, something called hugel culture where... Like, and like Penny was talking about earlier, um, using, using as many resources that are actually growing in your garden when you're creating your garden and when you're managing your garden is a really good way to do it. So I had a couple of mature trees in my backyard that I had to chop down before I re-landscaped my backyard and I had some pretty extensive branches. Um, that I was going to use as firewood, but once I started installing these raised beds, um, I actually laid the branches in the ground, and they were about a foot, a foot and a half under all the organic matter and soil and things that I piled on top of them. And eventually, you know, I'd, I'd dig down about a spade and a half depth once a year in all of those beds and... None of those branches are anywhere to be found now. Um, they've yeah. all composted down. All the microbial life in the soil has broken it down and it's all become part of the soil. And consequently, the soil's that chocolatey brown goodness, you know, that that you're, you're looking for. Oh, that's interesting. Mm.
1: I think the other question we should ask, James, is um, whether Stephen has con- considered um, turning that uh, raised garden bed into um, a wicking bed too, because he has the yeah, opportunity to do that that's right. while it's in construction phase. Have you have you thought about that, Stephen?
0: I don't really know what you mean by that. Yeah, right. Um,
1: a, with a wicking bed, you have um, a reservoir at the base of the bed, mm. which basically holds water. Mm. And then uh the plants draw up on that water so so it means that you 're not having to water every day, um, mm-hmm. usually only about once a week where mm-hmm. you you top up the reservoir in the base of the bed mm-hmm. um and then it it's uh the water by osmosis percolates mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. into the the garden bed and and you're your, um, vegetables or what herbs or whatever you're growing in there, um, have this constant supply mm. of water. So it is an opportunity while you're constructing that bed, if you wanted to, um, have a sealed base mm. on the bed with then, um, scoria mm. or something, mm. um, and then you put a, a second base with um how would you describe it with some tubes leading up with the soil yeah, that go down into, into it, the that go down into the, into the, into reservoir, the water yeah. and up into the soil. Mm. Um, and then you just need a little um uh, place for putting your water in on the side of the bed. Yeah. So they're they're
3: an incredibly water efficient way to grow. They're fantastic. Um, right. they're, they're really good. So maybe have a Google and have a look okay. and see if you might you might you know you might have a think about combining the two. Um, All right.
1: Because yep. you can, you could build a, a wicking bed even on on concrete.
3: Yeah, you can. Yeah, you know, you might, ha-
1: you might have, you um, might have a yes, an outside area, and mm-hmm. you don't even have to think about having having mm-hmm. soil there mm-hmm. underneath. You mm-hmm. can, you can just build the whole thing on onto a, an empty space that you have with a yep. hard surface.
3: Yep, absolutely.
1: All right, right.
0: Th- thanks. And just a last question: If I buy um, bags of manure from wherever, yep. is it beneficial to leave it for? Like two or three months and hope it will uh, break down and mature and become better for the plants.
3: Um, you never want to be putting manure on fresh. Um because it will tend have the tendency to burn plant roots. Um but anything that you're gonna buy pre bagged, um
1: it's gonna have already been aged. It's
3: gonna be aged already. Oh, so, right. so it'll can, be yeah. fine to use. Yep. You yeah. It's only if straining. you're buying
1: um, you know, in bulk like a trailer load from yes. from stables oh. or somewhere. Mm.
3: The only oh. thing I would say that's the exception to that is chicken manure. Buying bagged chicken manure, it can still it's burn still things. Quite, so, yeah. you know, it'd always be a bit more sparing with that. And um I've – look, I've always been of the opinion for, for several years that I think people over-fertilise as well. I've had two years in my garden now where I've done nothing but dig in homemade compost. I haven't used any manures at all because I just wanted to see how things grow without applying – you know, usually I'd do a bit of pelletized chook manure or something like that, but – I basically haven't fertilized my productive vegetable garden with any, with any, um, you know, with any, with any fertilizer. It's all been just digging in compost, which I make on site, um, and it all comes from my own garden. Um, so it's really improving that soil structure as much as you can, because if you get a good structure to your soil and you get a high organic matter content into your soil, it holds on to water and nutrients much better than soils that aren't improved like that. Um, so, Yeah, and it's that, and it's that, it's that organic matter that gives the soil that, um, that lovely blackness and friability and crumbliness that you talked about when you, when you first asked your question, um, so yeah yeah the, on. the, the, the
1: other a lot, thing uh, <coughs> i I'll, I'll just before you go, Stephen. the other thing I will mention is to also consider the mulch you put on the top mm, because that absolutely. also really adds because at the end of your growing season, mm. you turn all of that in as well, and that's adding more nitrogen and structure to your soil yep. too so use use a really good um mulch that's going to break down easily, mm-hmm. so like um Um, sugarcane mulch or Or pea straw, straw, which is fabulous because that's putting more nitrogen into Mm. the soil Mm. as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Alright, thanks a lot.
1: Good night. Bye. Ah, Next up we have uh, Jill from East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam. How are you? We're well.
4: Um, I just wanted to say that Dorothy Laver, open space with ducks and all around the Gardener's Creek is apparently going to be developed in some way, you know, Sporting Oval or something by mm. the Camberwell Council and so oh. everyone wants to leave it as it is because yes, people who like passive recreation are never cared about, it's only sporting clubs. Anyway, I thought I'd tell 3CR listeners because they might be able to ring the council and and protest. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. Can I ask a question as well please? Sure. Um, my cherry tree only had a few blossoms on this year. Mm-hmm. Could it be that I overfed it with cow manure?
1: I wouldn't think so.
3: No, no. I, I think probably not. Um, I do remember we did have a bit of a hailstorm quite early on in spring, and I'm not sure whether whether East Melvin copped it around then, but...
4: Oh, yes, my, we definitely copped it. Okay,
3: you, yeah, right, because those, those stone fruits and pomes and things, they can be really susceptible to things like hail damage when they're flowering, and you mm. can lose entire crops with that sort well, of damage. It,
4: well, it was more the fact that there were very few blossoms on the tree, whereas the previous year it had been covered with blossoms.
3: Yeah, okay.
1: We've also had quite a bit of wind. <clears throat> and again i mean wind can a- absolutely decimate blossom just as it's ca- as it's coming on the tree yeah.
4: um
1: I, I seriously i don't think the cow manure would have done it because no. cow manure is fairly fairly mild as as um, fertilizers go yeah, um okay. so i really don't think that's going to have been a problem
4: oh well Never mind. If there's three cherries, the birds will have them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's
1: something Penny? we live with, isn't it? That um, we have, you know, a fantastic bumper crops one year and another year, Boomy you know, and, and, yeah. and often it, it comes back to climate. Mm. Yeah,
4: yeah. Yep. Can I just ask Penny if Penny got... Penny's got gone, I'm afraid. She
1: had to leave early. Oh, okay.
4: All right. Thank you. Okay, then. Bye. Bye.
1: Oh we uh if anyone wants to quickly uh jump on the phones, we're running through. We can take another one or two calls um before we have to leave for yet another Sunday morning. <laughs> so so that, that number rush. that yes. number is nine four one nine zero one double five if you'd like to uh jump on the phones. Otherwise uh yes, we haven't got very long at all. Um so James, yeah, um
3: what else is going on? Yes, what um, is
1: else going on? Because quite a lot <laughs> in your life. Suppose. There
3: is, there is absolutely. Yep. Um, but uh, basically, just trying to get myself in order for next year, to be honest, and mm. trying to find the time to fit everything in between now and the end of the year mm. that kind of needs doing. And,
1: and your own garden? Have you basically? Do you feel like? I mean, you can never fi- finish a garden. Of but, course. But of if course. you finish the major projects that. you...
3: Essentially, yeah. There's a, there's a couple more things that I want to do. Um, but the kind of bare bones of stuff is is there and f- at this point it's mainly just tinkering around the edges and it's mainly it's mainly the planting um yeah. it, i'm at that stage in my home garden where the hard landscaping's done um and i'm just refining the plants and and where they're going and what they're doing um it's it's kind of a, the most enjoyable phase of um living in the one spot and developing a garden i reckon cuz Essentially, all the really heavy work is done. Like, yep. I'm not going to be shovelling crushed rock at home ever again, <laughs> and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> it's not like you know, shovelling shovelling two cubes of mulch is pretty straightforward, but yep. you know, as soon as you start getting into that more heavy landscaping exactly. kind of stuff, yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm in my mid-thirties; my back's getting a little bit meh, meh, little niggles here and there, you know. <laughs> so avoiding that as much as possible. But being being plant people, you know, it's the most it's the most enjoyable phase of any garden, I reckon, where you constantly and look I'm I'm constantly staring at it as well especially especially the border's out the front um is there is there too much blue in it is there not enough yellow yeah. you know all these questions that you're just asking yourself while you're staring at it and making plans for pairing a bit of the purple back next year and you know taking out other things entirely because they might be growing a bit too big for their spot right um it it's those it's those kind of things about gardening that I enjoy the most I reckon it's yeah. just it's very, there's, there's always something to do. That's the thing. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's this thing that, you know, I, I worked with someone once who who said, oh, there's, there's nothing left to do in this garden. And I said, but if, you, if you're a gardener, there's always something to do. Exactly. You know, you, you're always, you always find something to do. Exactly.
1: Um, very quickly, we're going <laughs> to go to Jenny in Coburg North. Good morning, Jenny.
0: Oh, good morning. Hi. Thanks very much for taking my call. You'll have to be quick. Yes, look, um, yeah, it's probably a lot longer. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> no, but go for it. Just some quick um, points on cooling a uh, courtyard space, because you were talking about that earlier. I feel like I'm the poster girl for the U, um, urban heat island effect. Right, um, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, in, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I was just wondering, yeah, anything that you've got as, as tips, um, particularly in the summer months and a courtyard that actually doesn't get much at all in in winter unfortunately
3: yeah but you get that hot overhead sun in the summertime
0: and very very bad uh in you know from five in the afternoon sort of thing
3: oh okay so it cops the afternoon sun pretty badly yeah, as well w-
0: westerly yeah really, <coughs> really
3: bad, yeah so is the western side of it kind of open to the western sun and that's why the sun is getting in or it's just yeah
0: yes it is okay. And there's It's sort of there's nothing um, there at the moment, so I'm just wondering what to bring in. Um, Maybe not so much climbers, but also I'm a a renting situation, so I was thinking of maybe pots. Yeah, okay, yep.
3: Yep. Um, Any small tree really that's going to do well in a a pot? Yeah, that's going to give you a bit of shelter, or is at least going to kind of filter that sunlight or take the sting out of it. a small trees in pots are going to cope with western sun. Um, you know, it, it's it's the real problem because a lot of the things that would be quite useful for that, if it was an enclosed courtyard, would be something like um, some of the smaller Japanese maples. Uh-huh. But they're just going to burn with afternoon sun. Um, yeah. So that's a that's a real tough one. But uh, there are quite a number of dwarf cultivars of um, crepe myrtles coming on the market at the moment, and they look great in pots. They actually. would be and lovely they do in pretty, pots. That would well work in really well. And actually. they wouldn't mind the western yeah. sun. Yeah all Either, yep. oh, okay. um, but it's it's basically you want to you want to shade you want as much shade as possible. Um, so yeah. yeah, unfortunately, but we I think we have to go. We so. do have
1: <laughs> to go, Jenny. I'm sorry. Maybe ring back again next week a bit earlier. Thanks so much for your help. Really
3: okay. appreciate it. Okay. Bye.
0: Cheers,
1: Jenny. Bye. We have come to the end of a program. I have to say a very very huge thank you to Jan, who's been doing our phones, would you believe, for 10 years. Major <laughs> effort, Jan, Ooh. and we're all going to miss you. Thank you so much. Um, to all our listeners, uh, we will be back next week for our very last uh, program for the year. So do tune in at uh, 7.30 till next week. James, thank you so much no for worries. handling all the questions. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back 7.30 next week. Till then, bye for now.